so I guess uh, so Rob I guess you are you are the chairman from what I understand so uh, how did you find yourself into this uh, into this field how, how's your how's your interest in astronomy how did it, how did it develop well like most people it um, stems from a very early age you just see a program um, and it just sort of something just sort of clicks or hooks with you and you just get bugged with it you just want to find out a little bit more about it um, things like early episodes of the sky at night for example John Hurt did a program about the planets as well which was widely broadcast and just stuff like that really gets you interested and starts making you think more about it how far you want to go with it that sort of thing and I find just looking up at the sky generally it's just a fantastic feeling just imagining what is out there and just in, it's all free as well you just got to look up Enjoy it. From, it is from a very early age where I've been interested in astronomy. It is. You just get, seems to get, as life goes on, you just seem to get more and more involved in it. Like I say, now I'm fortunate enough to be chairman of our Mansfield and Sutton Astronomical Society, and I'm very proud to be uh, in this position. So how about you, Brendan? How did, how did you come to the game, as it were? Uh, yeah, crikey, it's, uh, I'm going to have to think back a good number of years now because uh, 43 in a couple of weeks' time, and I've been into it since I was about seven years old, so a good, what's that, about 36 years, I would say, so a good number of years back, coming on to four decades almost, <laughs> but uh, yeah, really from the age of seven, um, I recall my parents had a set of encyclopedias stuffed in their electric cupboard with about eight volumes, and the eighth volume was a chunky one, it was indexed for the the rest of the series, but uh, it had star maps for every month of the year in the back of that eighth volume. And the, the, the pictures of the star maps were really pretty. There were nice um, descriptions of the night sky. And this is what you could see looking south from a particular city at 10 o'clock at night. And it just captured my imagination. And I tried to look out my mum's uh, bedroom window and you know, look south and see if I could recognise these constellations and really took it from there. And uh, I, th I think anything else after that was really uh, Patrick Mulberry. And I think that's the same story for a lot of people, really. Um, Patrick Moore popularised astronomy big time, you know, um, over the TV and social media and that, and uh, that, that's the second way I actually got into astronomy and furthered my interest into astronomy was, was Patrick Moore. And he actually released a uh, cassette that you could pop into a cassette player or a Walkman I had at the time. And it was quite useful because it played the Sky at Night theme tune intro, then he would talk you through the constellations, what you can see in the night sky. So there was four seasons, and you can just fast forward the cassette and listen to the season you're in outside with your headphones on, looking in the sky, and Patrick Moore pretending you where to look for the stars and you know constellations and everything. And uh, yeah, that's where it really started to make sense when I had a guiding hand from Patrick talking to me, as if he was next to me in the garden and pointing out where these stars were. And that's when it really gelled and knitted together. Really, I could figure out what he meant because he was so good with it. <laughs> is there a potential there to, to do that as a kind of an app or an audio like mp3 download to download on your phone and put your ears in and do the same thing again yeah i think patrick moore was ahead of his time really because nowadays on mobile phones you, you've, you've got you've got planetarium software you know a click of a finger you can you can scroll backwards in time to go forwards in time to dial up what's in the night sky patrick moore was ahead of the time and he, he put it all on cassette years ago <laughs> yeah something like that with patrick moore you know just speaking to you explaining things would be like a personal guide you know to the sky and that would make like say that would make a really good strong connection but you're right you can get all these really 
clever apps now on your phone where you can just point them up at the sky and it can show you what constellations are there, it, which is all very good. But like I say, if you had something personal like that, I can easily see where that strong bond can, you know, can occur. Well, I think he had that kind of like fatherly voice, didn't he? That kind of was a guiding toy. He was a, he was an educator as well as being a um, he knew what he was talking about, and that really helped um, come across. And he, he, he kind of brought you into his little family and go, oh, "This is this is yeah. what we can see. This is what we're talking about." I mean, I haven't watched Sky at Night for for years, um, and you know, I would deliberately would stay up late at night on school night just to watch it. So. As, a, as, oh. as we all did. Yeah, yeah, a lot, lots of fond memories of watching the sky at night. And the unfortunate thing is, when I was young, it was on so late, I had to go to bed because I had to go to school the next day. And it was a nightmare. And the, the VHS video recorders I had back in the day, I think we had a couple in our house, and one would record and, what, and the other one wouldn't. And they're always temperamental whether they did or didn't. And I managed to get a good few series of uh, Sky at Night onto VHS cassette for my brother to only record over it with Coronation Street or something like that. Absolute nightmare. <laughs> I wonder, yes, I wonder how many episodes are actually still available, like my iPlayer or any like, on BBC yeah. or whatever. I, guess... I think they did announce a short while ago they'd found a lost episode or an early episode of The Sky at Night because it's a bit like Doctor Who. They didn't or lost a lot of the early recordings and things like that, which is a real shame, really, because, like I say, it was just iconic at the time. I think is it still the longest running space related program in the world? It's got to be, hasn't it? Hey, on no, that, didn't it turn just to audio though on BBC Four like last year, or is it still as television? It's always been television, as far as I'm aware. At least from 1957, I think it's been running from. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure it's about 1957. But yeah, I think you're right because then was just the first, uh, you know, Sputnik went up as well so i think it's all knitted and it you know resonated with people a, a new age was dawning in the space race sort of thing <clears throat> excuse me and someone like patrick moore who's a great communicator he's a very intelligent chap and he just had this i don't know like a fatherly way of putting things over and just so you can understand things and yeah. you can get his enthusiasm as he's coming over to it explaining as well I, I think I really missed an opportunity with Patrick Moore because you hear about all these like, uh, you know, eminent scientists, you know, who are very popular nowadays who wrote to Patrick Moore when they were very young, they were interested in astronomy and Patrick Moore gave them lots of advice and pointed them in this direction, probably gave them the telescope to use and, you know, like Chris Lindsott on the sky at night and they contacted Patrick Moore when he was very young and he got lots of advice. Well. When I was very young, I went to my local library in Burton-upon-Trent and they had all the telephone directories of the country, of the area. And me and my brother actually made a point of finding the one for where Patrick Moore lives, because he lives down south in Selsey, that's where he used to live on the south coast. And uh, we actually managed to find his telephone number in the uh, telephone directory in the library. And I plucked up some nerve to actually dial the number into my mum's phone. And he actually picked it up and he says, he says, hello, 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 Patrick here. And I panicked and put the phone straight down. <laughs> and, was, and that's my biggest regret today is actually hanging up on Patrick Moore because I think if I held my nerve and spoke to him, I could have been on a different path today. Instead of doing chemistry at university, I could have been doing astronomy. <laughs> it could have been a master. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, when you, something, someone like Patrick Moore on television, writing books and that, crikey, he's, he's quite an imposing guy anyway, you know, size-wise. So... Okay, yeah, just great, just phoning him up. Yeah, yeah I, I can imagine what a conversation must have been uh, 
would perhaps have looked like or heard like. It's, it's amazing, really, though, when you you do get up close and personal to people, because we had Dame Jocelyn Bell Burnell give us a talk about 18 months ago, and we took it out to one of the local schools because we thought, well, someone world-famous like her is going to be a big draw, and our lecture room only safely holds 35 people. So we made arrangements to take it out to one of the local schools, and um, it all worked out, went, and we had a big turnout for her. And we went with a, we met Dame Jocelyn beforehand for a meal before the show, so to speak. And it was just having a chat like we're talking. It was, you know, it's kind of world famous, like just sitting next to you, having a chat. And the old family really are quite approachable. Yeah. It's, it's quite strange, really. You think there would be, you know, I would kind of speak to them, but not like that, not from my experience. The people we do get. <laughs> down to the observatory because we have um, regular monthly speakers you know just like Dame Justin for example you're really quite approachable very knowledgeable I had a, a similar experience once uh, do you know uh, Reverend Lionel Thamthorpe of the 14 Times um, is president of ASAT um, and I, I had a moment when I was at the University of Bath and I, 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 I did, did a, a talk I was asked I was asked to come along to do a talk at a, as a, a conference and he was on stage and then he shook my hand, spoke to me, and I lost all semblance of what words I was supposed to say. I mumbled through this. And then afterwards, it was just like a normal guy you'd meet in the pub. And it's just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it is, I suppose they, they appreciate just being spoken to and you're not sort of holding them in on, putting them on a pedestal. Just mm. have a chat. Yeah. Say the words, but it won't. And usually it does. Mm. So can I ask about so the, the observatory? So how, how did how did it get started? I mean, because to build an amateur observatory, I guess, is in an area like Nottingham, it's quite unusual, really. I, I wouldn't have thought there was even an observatory here. I mean, I lived here for quite some time, unbeknownst there was one relatively close. So how did it, how did it all get started? Well, amazing. The store our, our quest is to make sure everyone knows about Sherwood Observatory because there's still quite a lot of people who don't realise exactly where we are, who we are. Um, so you're not alone in that, uh, Christian. As, well, we're entering our 51st year since we were founded by our, our original founding members, and thankfully some of them are still members. And they bought a small parcel of land for, I believe, £50 back in the day, and it just got literally all through volunteering slowly building the observatory up from reclaimed bricks from the local um, pits and things like that, factories that were being pulled down. Um, and they even recycled the uh, scaffolding, what they actually used to build the place to make the telescope, our 24-inch Newtonian reflecting telescope in the dome. So it's literally, um, they had no money, you know, when they founded the uh, society. So everything had to be, you know, scavenged so they recycled and just recently we had a bit of a landslip and we actually one of the things what was washed out was original brick from one of the collieries from back in the day <laughs> so it's just absolutely brilliant so it was just some far-sighted people a chap called dave collins was one of them and he just put a small advert in a local newspaper for like-minded people to start an astronomical society, and the rest they say is history. And these people just got together, had a chat, and 
they used to meet up in, if I remember correctly, the canteen at where Dave Collins or one of the original founding members worked. And it just built up from there, on it? So if something like this could be done today, I don't know, possibly. But they were very far-sighted, very determined people. And we absolutely thank them for doing this because they have left a great legacy. Well, determination is certainly um, powerful there as a motivator um, to build such a, you know, it's a vast structure, you know, that is uh, valuable to the community, valuable to science. Um, it's amazing that people, how should we say, normal people can make that happen. Um, I, I wonder what the equivalent would be today to make something like that uh, come together. So how, how did you get involved then, Rob? How, how did you, did you just join the society and uh, become promoted up? Is it how, how did that work? Well, I've just um, joined the society. I thought I just want to get more involved in astronomy um, and not be on my own, so to speak. But I was a little bit concerned about, you know, can I just be myself when I join? I don't want to be with the lot of fuddy-duddy people. And so I asked to join, see what the situation was at Mansfield and Sutton. I was informed at the time that there was no vacancies. To you know, did a cap at the time, and I thought, well, I just want to join an astronomical society, you know, not a, a room at a hotel. So then they got back in touch saying they've got a vacancy, so they sent me an application form over. I filled it out, sent it in, and it was accepted. And so I just went up. I didn't know anybody, and I just learned about all the outreach, what they was doing, and did got an um, an open event coming up in this few weeks time so i thought well, just help out volunteer and i just got more and more involved in it meeting lots of uh, like-minded people and just basically enjoying it um so i've been i've been there i think 11 or 12 years now i can't quite remember how many years and the opportunity arose where i got to uh, stand the chairman and i got voted on the committee in the position of chairman and i've I mean, it's my third year at the moment as chairman. Very uh, involved position. A lot of work involved in it, but there's a lot of enjoyment to get out of it as well. And I just love working with other like-minded people and trying to move the society on as far as possible and make it as enjoyable as possible for the rest of the membership. What about you, Brad? How did you have to join the society? Uh, yeah, I think my first taste of Shard Observatory was uh, probably about 2005, I think. Uh, I caught one of their public open nights advertised locally um, around Sutton and Ashfield. And uh, I actually popped up there on the Saturday night on the public open night. And uh, it, it was quite busy, as it always is on a public open night, even back in 2005. <laughs> but um, yeah, after a very long, cold wait in the queue to, to go up the spiral staircase into the dome, I actually managed to have a look through the eyepiece of the big telescope in the dome. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, it was actually pointing at the planet Saturn. I was quite impressed by that. And that's what really captured me. And um, I made a few inquiries to be a member. And as Rob said, um, there was a cap on membership. And I couldn't actually be a member till well, at least another three, four years, really. So it was probably about 2008, 2009 when I became a member. Um, quite disgruntled by the fact I couldn't be a member for so long, but uh, when I did, I've, I've, I've never looked back really. And uh, I've, it's always been a regular sort of uh, place for me on a weekly basis. I'm up there two, three times a week, and um, I'm like, yeah, I've 
been on the committee uh, twice now up there, I think probably about seven years ago as a vice chairman of the society for a couple of years. Dropped out of that and now I'm back on it as the uh, the events coordinator guy. So I look after all the uh, public events mm-hmm. on site and off site for the society. So that, that that's me in a nutshell, really. Pretty broad scope of activities. What you guys doing? So what um what kind of events do you have that happened during the lockdown? How has that just changed the, the mm. whole structure of uh, running a society that generally runs open evenings initially it's been disappointing when lockdown hit in march last year it actually curtailed our last public open night of the season so our march events that was going to go ahead in march had to be cancelled our night school um had to be cancelled so we we lost two sessions of that and it, it took was a while to get ourselves on our feet to Roll into you know uh, public um, domain online you know with platform of Zoom and that. Uh, but once we got to feet with that, um, it's pretty much plain sailing really. It, it was we was in full flow at the time in um, the early part of last year, February time, just running into March, and we was on track to record our second highest ever attendances at the observatory. But we could see in the background, COVID was getting more and more prevalent in the in the news so we had to like i say we closed the observatory down mid-march and we moved everything online we quickly set up um uh online for the membership because the first priority is for the members you know we need to keep them you know engaged and informed even entertained dare i say and they responded really well actually we moved our um, society monthly talks online as well. And I think that's part of the course for everybody now. We encourage members to um, join in. We've got the regular quizzes. We've got one coming up in February, if I remember correctly. But we generally have a, a get-together and a chat every Wednesday. So, like I say, we so can try and you know, encourage all the members and just make sure they're not missed and stuff like that and just kick ideas about or what's happening in space in general. That sort of thing. So it's been a great learning curve because there's certain things we've learned being online that we'll keep once we can get back to live visits, like um, live streaming the talks for the whole membership. Because there's always going to be people who can't get to the observatory. So why should they miss out on, say, this particular lecture, what's going off? Cameras on, scopes, that sort of thing. So we've taken as many positives out of this, you know, in lockdown as possible to make our society as, as good as possible afterwards. I, I think to add to that, Rob, we've been very fortunate during the uh, pandemic lockdown in the fact that we've not lost members. We've actually acquired more members by our sort of online presence and rolling lectures out online. And we've got another one coming up uh, next month. We've actually um, had a lot of interest in the society. So uh, we've, we've not been short of membership coming in. <laughs> You're absolutely right, <laughs> It just shows you how active we've been you know, in trying to push things that we've, we've not lost any members, we've actually gained. So we're going to take that as a real positive, but we're always trying to look to improve it anyway. But yeah, it's, um, I think we did uh, National Astronomy Week in November, where we live streamed it, and we had over 400 people viewing online, which was absolutely fantastic. We had people donating money to our planetarium project as well, which is now our science discovery centre. So we do have a giving page for anyone who wishes to donate 
towards our science discovery center which is on our website but it was it's been great experience learning new things what we can bring on board for when we can get out of this lockdown yeah mm. i guess like that has thrown many plans of scupper as they say so this uh, your your expansion of your observatory do you want to take me a bit through that sure we a few like brendan has mentioned that uh, about 10 years ago we bought a, a strip of land adjacent to the observatory and if you're just looking at it it just looks like a, a man-made hill but under this hill is a victorian reservoir what supplied water to the surrounding area so we bought it and the plan is to convert it into a state-of-the-art planetarium. So we've got the uh, National Heritage Lottery involved, and there really are interesting plans we've got. We've done a lot of research into how this would be received by the local community, council, and things like that. And it's been a huge positive feedback we've had from it. So we've got lots of um, people in business who are involved in this uh, the running of the project board as well for it so the lockdown has slowed things down a little and put plans back but everything is still on track um, to move forward for the next phase of going to the national heritage lottery and they've been really supportive the heritage lottery i can't thank them enough they've been fantastic and it's just going to be a state-of-the-art science discovery center and there'll be nothing like it really I'm going to push it and say in the East Midlands, we will be a flagship for the area and we will attract lots of interest. We've had, a, um, it's about 18,000 visitors we need for it to break even. And the figures, even the conservative figures we've had on it, we'll, we should easily hit that. So we're really confident um, that this will come off. I guess where you guys are situated as well also helps. It would uh, help push um, Kirkby and Ashfield and, and something Ashfield's, uh, you know, their, their tourism, their, their pass-through. Um, so I think it'd be a huge boon to everything around the area. It is. It will just enhance other attractions and areas of interest in the whole surrounding area. It is. So, yeah, we're, we're really um, positive about this, that it will happen. It is. We can't, to be honest with you, can't wait. I've got a project manager on board with it, uh, Dr. Steve Wallace, and he's done an absolutely fantastic job of moving the whole, whole project along. Unbelievable. Yes. Full praise to him and his team. Yeah, because sometimes you need that. You just, someone just needs to take the reins on a, an area of a project and go, uh, let, let's see what we can test to this. And they're like, mm. it, and it, it magically seems to happen because they know how to do that. And, you go, and then before you know it, it's just like, it's here. <laughs> So what's the, what's the conservative estimate for the completion of that project? Um, 2023, hopefully, the build. Um, that is what we're hoping for. Like I say, that may have to slip, do with all the lockdown and things, but we're still going to push for that date on it to get it over the line. So there's still a huge amount of work involved in it. And we've seen, there is plans all on this in a video on the almost a final design concept on our website. And he said fantastic feedback from people who have seen it. And it's achievable. That's the good thing. It, it, it's something what's not mm. high in the sky. It's an achievable project this is.
I, I think what we've got, Rob, is so unique. It's so appealing and attractive for it to be something like we are describing, mm. really, a planetarium discovery centre. I mean, I don't know what you can conjure up in your mind, um, Christian, but it is like an underground layer, empty reservoir. Uh, you know, it used to be full of water, but it's a brick vaulted Victorian built. Um, it's It could be bomb proof. It's so solid and big and round. It's it's mightily impressive when you go in. And it's got an echo and a reverberation when you go into this big water tank as well. It's half underground and half above. And it, it's mightily yeah. impressive. It's so attractive. Those who have seen it just think, well, this is an asset you've got that it'd be a shame to lose. So I think in part, heritage lottery funds would be keen to a kind of preserve the structure yeah. in some form, but also do something that's great to propel it forward into the 21st century really for a science discovery center park so we can have you know both mm. yes. we do a lot of outreach like I say we've um, got we do all the uniform visits you know brownies cub scouts beavers that sort of stuff u3as and eventually they won't be at the observatory they'll be at the science discovery center so the experience they'll get when they're there honestly it will they will go wow it, they just will. They will. They go wow now when they come to the observatory and see the big telescope. When they go up there, they'll be blown away. It I is. mean, we'll probably be competing with the likes of Leicester Space Centre. That's the sort of um, par we'll probably be on eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I would have actually been to the Space Centre. I mean, I've, I've gone past it numerous times. I've never actually been there. I mean, oh. is, is, it, is it is it a place that's still worth going? Yeah, I think it is good. It's, it's got lots of things in, in, in a lot. What I like about the Space Centre, it's got lots of interactive stuff for the kids and that and big kids on that. And you can see literally um, Soyuz as well hanging there. So you can get you really visualise how small it is actually when you're cramped inside that space capsule. But it's always good, to, I feel, to have a, if you can get touchy-feely to as, as much as possible. I think there's a great a personal connection. It's fantastic on it. We can just get up close to it and smell it and that. Just well, 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 you say that, Rob. When I was last at the Leicester uh, Space Centre, I was actually in the cafeteria having my sandwiches and a cup of coffee. And uh, mm. they've got a big, massive rocket in there. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called Thor or something like that. On the yeah. side. Yeah. But there's a big red button at the bottom of it. But below the big uh, nozzle... Um, at the bottom of the rocket, some kid ran up to it and pressed this big red button. Then lots of sirens and uh, things started blasting and, and lights started flashing. And my whole table with my sandwiches and coffee was just deluged in this like uh, fog of smoke just pothering out the bottom of this engine nozzle. <laughs> it was to totally the wrong place to sit in the Leicester Space Center. If you ever go, do not sit under the rockets in the cafeteria. Yeah. Because when the poor sign on what says do not press, people are going to press it. <laughs> of course, big red buttons. There's always a big red button. It is. It's what you want is a big red button, especially if it says do not touch on it, because you know yeah. someone's going to go and touch that. <laughs> I mean, so, so the observatory has been open for, you say, 50 years now. So what what contribution uh, has been made um, by the by the observatory to um, I guess the community? What's what what do people see when they come there? Well. What's uh what value has been added? Okay, well, what just by pointing out things in the night sky, for example, when we do get a clear because I'm I'm in charge of the visits to the observatory as well, and I always put if it's clear, we'll go outside or we'll go into the dome and view. No mind instead of talking about something, and, the, and the, when you can point certain things out to people in the sky, it just 
amazed by it. It gives them a, an understanding of what's literally above the heads. And, and that sense of wonderment comes, you know, you can just see it physically hitting them. When you point out that shiny star, well, that's the planet Venus, for example, or that orangish-coloured star, well, that's Mars, if it's available in the sky, that sort of stuff. And just that, just pointing out some of the constellations, not just random stars, well, that's the Plough, for example, or Cassiopeia on that. And it just sort of gets this connection, what I think we've lost now as a, as a, as a society because of all the light pollution. And that's what I love about it. You're just opening little bits from to have a peek, and then it just grabs them and want to find out a little bit more. And then you go and give them a talk and explain things about them. And they just really do get it, whether they're kids or big kids. And and, and you can just tell when they come up to you afterwards, you know, saying, oh, thank you very much, and just asking you a question about oh, something, what you've said and that lot. And you can just see the penny dropping. And it just falls into place and you know you're going to send them away and they're probably going to be googling something and checking something out and getting the interest coming we get lots of people saying well we've been a couple of three years ago and want to come back various groups so we know we're doing something right in just trying to inspire the um population and the people public who come up to the observatory and that's what drives me anyway and i think pretty much drives every member of Mansfield and sort of astronomical society, without doubt. Just you can just feel a connection happening between you and who you're speaking to. It, that's what I get out of it. I, I like really love the face to face with people, so you can just immerse with them. It's great. It's just fantastic. Yeah, there's nothing more. There's nothing more exciting than trying to understand the mysterious. And to a lot of people, the universe, the cosmos, and space can be quite mysterious to them they've always got lots of questions and as rob quite rightly said it's a place of inspiration as well really you know you don't necessarily always think about these things in everyday life because you're just preoccupied with doing so many things with today's technology but when you come up to short observatory you're kind of put into a situation where you feel inspired to think about different things differently on the universe and astronomy and solar system and it's, it's, it's that inspiration that feeds young minds as well so when rob speaks of group visits going to, up to the observatory it, you know it can be cubs brownies scouts and young minds just absorb this like a sponge and the amount of questions they come out with is, is quite challenging mm -hmm. at times as well just um i'm always pointing out to people you do not need fancy telescopes and that you can do lots of naked eye of you know astronomy just but there's lots of things to see just with the unaided eye you don't have to go and buy anything expensive it's all free just look up i think that's inspired so for thousands and thousands of years of course that has been one of the driving forces behind humanity now wanting to understand our place in the cosmos we've always wanted to reach out and understand watch how come like I, I, we're here every night and we've seen this you know, that object move across the sky every night. What is it? It's it's different from all the stars. And obviously for thousands of years, they've been able to track and understand what the uh, the cycle is of these planets. And um, it's been such a driving force for humanity. And it appears that for some people, they aren't even aware of it. And it's quite odd, isn't it? Absolutely. The, at one point in our history, we were, we were really connected with the sky. But just that little simple light bulb, what we've invented, is made a total disconnect where the, the, it's destroyed the sky for people from vast areas of the globe, really. So, of course, you know, just light pollution. So, like I'm saying, it's just we need to get that reconnection back 
on it so people can actually see because we're just destroying the sky and other parts of our planet just with too much light and it's an easy it's an easy fix and we're just on a quest to try and educate and point people in the right direction of what they're actually missing out and get that connection back it is and it isn't expensive to enjoy the sky you see these big fancy scopes brilliant fantastic but just look up that's what i like about it it's just look up and when you're in, in, when you're under the pristine sky you do not have to travel thousands of miles you can just see it from your back garden the milky way the arm of the milky way for example our home gal you know galaxy and we've destroyed all that we need to bring it back. Uh, I think Bridget, you were jumping there, weren't you? Oh, God, sorry. Um, no, I'm just listening intently to, to, to Rob's uh, passionate sort of uh, you know take on it, really, which is it, it is quite right. You know, we're, with, with the advances of technology and the way it's going forward, um, you know, it seems to be man's desire to light up everything, really. And it's a shame in some ways, but um, yeah, hopefully it will become under control eventually. I mean, we've not lost the night sky altogether; it's, it's still up there, and yeah. There's lots of things you can do to, to get around it and mitigate it, but uh, we're, yeah, it's, it's it's there for all to enjoy, hopefully, and it always will be. Um, yeah. It'd be a shame yeah. if we do lose it, but um, I don't think we will. But um, No, I don't think so either. I don't think humanity is that silly. If there's anything that offends me more, it's, it's being called an astrologer and not an astronomer. Mm -hmm. A lot of folks seem to get those two mixed up. that happened? <laughs> It, it, it actually happens. It's more common than you think, actually. Even I noticed, I think a week ago, I think an astronomer, Mark Thompson, was being interviewed uh, by a BBC reporter, and the BBC reporter actually referred to him as an astrologer. I mean, that's probably the ultimate, that's the ultimate thing you can insult an astronomer with, yeah. is calling them an astrologer. I mean, the two have their roots historically together, but they've both got separated and they're both totally different nowadays. Really. Yeah. One side they would have been more closely related is because, of course, the way that they were trying to record the story of the star was to add a story to it, weren't they? Then? Um, mm. And the story has become embellished to mean all kinds of silly things, perhaps. But uh, I guess what they were trying to do was that that's how you recorded history was you, you basically recorded a story about it and that's how you passed on to your child so they knew yeah. and then they've spattered off in their own direction but i guess they they have diverged to more you know this is structure this is this is waffle <laughs> yeah 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 astronomy is just solely science really of, of um, everything beyond the earth's atmosphere really and, yeah uh, that's the way to look so, at it yeah Astro astronomy is just a beautiful thing and sometimes yeah, it's great to know something about you know whatever you're looking at for example but sometimes you just got to kick back look up and enjoy it and just soak it all in and just be amazed at the majesty of it all on that it is um so yeah it's it's, it's now even very humbling when people get really fascinated about the solstices or the, the equinoxes or when they when it comes to an eclipse everyone is really engaged with with those subjects i mean do you find that you always have an uptick in terms of the your viewership or your people coming when those events happen yeah, yeah abs absolutely uh, just in december just run up to christmas as the uh, conjunction of uh, saturn and jupiter i think the first time they've been this close together since 1631 on that and luckily we had some clear skies not actually on the 23rd i think it was the closest approach but a couple of days before 
and a couple of days afterwards sort of thing. So the, the interest was just fantastic all on social media and through our membership, quite rightly. Just these two points of light slowly merging to become one. But just looking through, you know, 10 by 50 binoculars, you can easily split them sort of thing. And um, even see them, you know, when, it, when it, you do use some binoculars, you can just, you know, get the moons of Jupiter as well, the, the main Galilean moons. But, yeah, you're right. When there is something that's being broadcast and publicised in the media, we do find an uptake, like solar eclipses, that sort of stuff. And generally things will light up the night sky, fireballs and stuff like that on it and um, meteor showers. So, yeah, we do get, seem to get more inquiries. So there's a lot more information going out into the public domain, which is a really good thing. Too much information on occasions, it just can't keep up. Do you but, think that actually puts people, at the same time, puts people off? They see it too much or they feel that they can't engage because there's too much information? Do you think that's also an off-putting? Well, of course, I've ever really come across that as such, really. I don't think it's ever been too much. I don't think it's ever been rammed down a folks where we've been so sick of it, we want to turn this off the box or anything like that. I mean, there's, there's so much choice in today's world. I mean, you can take it or leave it, basically. And we find there's enough people out there who are up for it and take it. And, and at the best of times, we're quite um, deluged with it when we're operational at the society. In fact, um, sometimes we have too many people turn up and it can be a problem, which is something we need to address. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can be a victim of our own success really with the amount yeah. of people who want to come and visit on say open events because the open events are our flagship event for the society um so we're, we're, but again with this lockdown we're looking at new ways of uh, managing it so it's making so it's making it a better experience for the public when they come and visit us and a little bit easier for us to give them uh, i'll say a better service because we're always trying to look to improve so we are taking advantage of this enforced lockdown to um, hopefully when we can open up again, because we, we really believe there'll be a strong surge to get back up close and personal with all the stuff we've been denied. So it can give an even better experience for people who come and visit. It's, it's a shame we can't be live from Shored Observatory, Christian. Then behind me, I could have my camera just walking about and you can see the telescope and everything behind, to be honest with you. Or in fact, you could have been there in person yourself, maybe. Hey, we can come back and always do this again. Absolutely. I mean, the thing is, I've found with every guest I've spoke to, they're all like, we need to do this again. <laughs> so. Yeah, we do. Absolutely. It, it is. It's great. It just gives people a better insight into who we are, what we do, sort of thing. And it just made, like I say, click with someone and thinks, oh, I'll check this out. That's it. I mean, um, I guess, so when... So with your current telescopes, do you do you have like a plan of when you replace them? Is there is there a kind of a uh, an expiry on the equipment, shall we say? Does it need maintenance or anything like that? How does that work? Yeah, it needs, it needs maintenance, obviously. I mean, you've got to keep these things clean and tidy and everything. But uh, a telescope, like anything, if, if you keep it uh, well, then it should last a lifetime, basically. Quite robust, um, you know, systems. I mean... I think some of the oldest telescopes around used by some of the great astronomers from hundreds of years ago still exist because of being kept so well in, in cabinets and museums and that. Yeah. yeah. Longs are used and looked after, they're fine. Yeah, that's right. Um, they generally are. Any any uh, instrument along the lines of a telescope is generally looked after and cared for. I mean, you're not going to leave it outside in the rain, for example, on that. But 
yeah, we've got a um, 24 inch reflecting telescope Newtonian in the in the the uh, dome, and people look at this big uh, mirror and it was dust on it and bits and pieces. They think, well, why don't you clean it? But it doesn't have a great effect on the operation of the scope. In fact, cleaning it can be causing more problems and damage to it. You know, scratching the surface, for example, is really difficult. So generally, though, the, the, the maintained collimation and stuff like that, depending on what type of telescope it is, but generally looked after and they'll last a lifetime. Oh, that's uh, I was going to say, like you said there, is that some like scopes must last hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, that are still used. I mean, um, I mean, the Galileo stuff from like hundreds of years, I'm mm. sure it's still a term. Where is that now? Is it the is it the Royal Observatory in London? It's there at, at Greenwich. Oh, uh, Galileo scopes that you had. Oh, the, the, the Galileo scope. I think his is in a museum somewhere. I think it's, it's in Florence or somewhere. His original yeah. scope, I think. But it's been replicas made of it over the years. Oh, okay. yeah. 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 I'm just thinking, is that, is that one of his? Or maybe not. Mm. So I was going to say. So, what, what's the future then, Hold? So beyond the um, the the future, what you've got coming up with your expansion to a discovery center i mean what uh, what have you got beyond that come along well we're, we're expanding in with uh, like i said we do a lot of visits from the uniform groups and uh, other groups like youth rays for example and other private groups but we're expanding into schools now as well we've um, got a dedicated school section where we, we go out to the schools during the day and then give a presentation there take a solar telescope with us as well and it when we're lucky enough for people to look through a scope, whether it's a solar scope or, let's say, normal telescope, they're just, wow, when they get that experience to look at an object. And especially the sun, it just takes it to another level when they can view our local star, because it's like the moon. They don't even give it a second's thought. But we're, we're really pushing hard to get established with the schools because we really feel that's a strong place where we want to be. Um, especially with the STEM subjects, that sort of thing. So we've, we've got a member now who's running up the uh, schools outreach department. So, and, you know, the schools will be all over that because effectively, that it's for them. You know, they can inspire people. They can uh, they can drive their and motivate their their young. So, well, absolutely. Before the lockdown, we was going to the schools, and sometimes the schools came to us. So. Personally, when I, I was running it then, I was trying to get them to come to the OBS because I wanted them to go and see the main telescope, look around, they've got the opportunity to look around an observatory, that sort of thing. But was equally happy to go to the schools on it and just really try and get them involved. And, um, and it was going down really well. So now we're moving more online on it, which is more difficult. You don't really... It's, more difficult to get over that enthusiasm and looking through an, uh, a camera through the scope. It's not the same, but it is better than nothing. But that is a strong place where we want to go to get really embedded with the schools and have an impact on that department as well. We've, we've got we've got an interesting branch of astronomy at uh, Short Observatory, uh, Christian, uh, called uh, radio astronomy. And a few years ago, um, through some budget allowance, we've we've actually installed and imp implemented a uh, purpose-built uh, shipping container that's all painted and kitted out the interior. It's all full of electronics and it acts like a Faraday cage for, for radio uh, astronomy, basically. And so we've got antennas set up on top of the observatory that allows for uh, 
meteor detection. So uh, we're all kitted up for radio astronomy purposes, and that's a new upcoming sort of area for us at Shore Observatory as well. So that that's run by one or two people. And uh, so that's a new branch for us where we're going into and uh, looking to expand on that as well, really, is radio astronomy for meteor detection. And there's various other things we can do with that. We can actually listen to the sun, the activity of the sun as well. And um, just last night, in fact, um, by DW, um, the German documentary producers, and they were, they were talking about the, um, the new solar um, telescope that's been set up. That's, I think it's, it's, it's due to arrive in location. Um, sometime in the next month, and uh, it's designed to what to uh, to view the corona uh, of the sun. Mm. It's the closest object we've sent to the sun, and uh, it's at a certain point. Uh, it's it's only like four million miles from the sun's surface. Um, it's wow. just it's it's going to have like twenty four um, elliptical loops before it eventually will dive into the sun. And uh, the idea is it's, it's to it's it has a an artificial eclipse that you can actually view the the corona around the side. Mm. And uh, that was fascinating. I mean, if you could give that to a, a, a young person, you know, guaranteed to be inspired. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the, the technology, what's happening nowadays to, you know, like I say, get up close and personal to our sun, our local star, it's just fantastic. It's just opening up so many things we didn't know and trying to understand our sun. It's just fantastic. And like I say, the people just want to soak all this stuff up. Just dropping back onto the radio astronomy, we do have strong links with Henegate School as well. We've okay. been helping set them up with their radio um, telescope as well. We've got, you know, we've got spare equipment because some of the budgets these schools have is just pathetic, really, which is shouldn't be so. It should be funded to the hilt on it. So we was helping to set the radio uh, telescope up as well. You know, and encourage, we're trying to encourage as much as possible on it and that's showing you know really nice in, you know results as well so get involved with as many people as possible but it is difficult being a charity and people are working during the day so just so i'd like to say can you donate your uh, fee to our planetarium project christian that'd be great <laughs> a couple of grand is it <laughs> yeah that's, that's for sure <laughs> cheers christian no we, we could count on you uh, so the one thing I so when, again I was filming this documentary um, uh, up in Southern Ashfield, and it, it has a meteorological element, and I, I kind of wonder if I can run it by you guys. I might even be aware of it. Uh, so in 1987, uh, 12th of November, there was what's famously locally known as the Thunderbolt incident, and uh, so I was kind of wondering if you guys know or have heard that or um, or know anything of that uh, experience. Crocky, I was nine years old and I didn't even live in such areas. Um, <laughs> the Thunderbolt is. I'm, I'm, I'm quite positively intrigued by that. I need to know more about it, uh, Christian. Yeah, what was that, 1987? 1987, 12th of November. So, um, um, so I'm trying, unfortunately, um, yeah. I think a more logical uh, event occurred. But however, it has a folklore, a local folklore attachment of okay. something a bit more spooky, a bit more of a supernatural alien, who knows what it was. Oh, um, yeah. So what appears to have happened is that um, uh, there's a number of locations uh, across Sutton what had uh, damage physically happened to their buildings. Mm -hmm. And uh, lots of windows blew out, lots of buildings were physically struck. Um, one building had to be demolished because it's been hit, it hit so hard on the side, the building actually tipped to the right. Um, and then a a vessel, a craft of some description, appears to have come down in Thieves' mm. Wood, and then it appears to have then levitated up again, and then 
um, came down uh, not too far from your observatory. Uh, and that's the reason I was up there. Um, so, however, um, it appears to have a bit, bit more of a logical um, story to it. It appears to be in a, in a, a military crash that came down. Um, there was a military response at the time. Uh, there was two Chinooks. There was a helicopters in the area. There was a mass shutdown of, of some of the roads there while a recovery happened. But as such, because of those those elements, and of course, then it ran, then it ran into X Files era of the 1990s. Um, yeah. it, it adapted and uh, it adopted a more uh, a local <laughs> legend of something else that had occurred. But uh, uh, there's a bit more of a logical explanation. But, but if you talk to people in the area, they'll go. Oh yeah, I saw this lightning in the sky, and it blew out all the windows, and all the t the TVs all burst, and uh, all the uh, the bushes were burned, and no one knows what happened. There was an explosion happened on the Cockmore Estate. Uh, <laughs> is that is that is that embellished take on it, or is it, or it was sort of a bit Adam Street? Those things actually happened. I've I've spoken to right. them. Okay. That the fire service, the police service, and um. Um, it, like, it, like they it'd go, be interesting to know what the weather was doing that night as well. well actually, I, I've, got, I've been in contact with the Met, Met Office actually regarding the very situation. So the weather of the area for this area was was clear. Um, mm. However, okay. two reports say it wasn't that there was as there was a storm. Uh, mm. It's rather interesting. Okay, right. yeah. this is this sounds fantastic. This has got the makings of a great story. It is. Uh, so, yeah. so if you actually head to my website, christianlander.com, I've got um. Perhaps the most concise amount of data on the on the topic um, from official sources um, and what people have, have have said and what their experiences were and what they saw and what they saw. Um, and I kind of wondered how many people have perhaps brought that to, you, to your guys' attention, going, "Oh, did you see something?" Perhaps not. <laughs> no, well, I've not heard of that before, actually. So I'm, I'm quite intrigued. So <laughs> missing something here. We do get inquiries about um, things, you know, lights in the sky and things like that. Um, but yes, but not that one. I'm not aware of that one. But uh, yeah, well, lots of people have now got these um, cameras, you know, security cameras and things like that, or all sky cameras. And there is quite a bit online uh, with various um, fireballs and things like that. What it catches, which again does, you know, result in more inquiries to the observatory on it. So. Um, we are installing actually some more all-sky cameras on top of the radio centre, so uh, we can see view the whole sky and so try and capture things. Because at the moment um, we're not covering all the area, but that will be addressed. So it's I all about even have like um, say say like a webcam running twenty-four hours a day, looking at you when you guys mm. are operating. You know, run that as a little. Uh, kind of a, a camera on your website account people could view and go oh what, what the guys doing tonight and what they're looking at mm. uh, that'd be fun that could be fun yeah like i say we're, we're going to take learn lessons from this lockdown so when we're doing events again we can sort of live stream at least part of it it can only be good for um, um our future you know help promote the society and promote astronomy and like I say, we will be look, doing live streams of talks as well, even when we can get back to uh, normality. Again, to put it out in the public domain, it is. It's um, the option also to um, to earn money from those, effectively. Well, uh, there's always, yeah. You know, you, you, you pay a pound or five pounds or whatever, you can then watch or perhaps ask questions or you get uh, a guest to come along and they can have interaction. You know, people can pay to ask those and, uh, as a sort of a revenue for them. That's always quite an interesting idea. Sure, but we're looking at um, having a guest speaker 
so we can have like a live interaction, one-to-one -one general chat, so we can questions to just be kicked about, and not not just the speaker to you know be talking about one specific item. You know, we, we, we're looking at that to do as well, something different. Because I think sometimes the, the uh, lecturers would like to sort of just chill out a bit and just explore other areas on it. So always looking at things to do. Okay. I think we've been waiting for about an hour or so now. So um, cool. I, I know. So uh, would you like to share your uh, your social media links and your, your website and where people can find out more about your location? Yeah, absolutely. That's not a problem at all. So, what's your what's your current web address? Is it okay? So, it is uh, www.sherwood-observatory.org is our website. Just Google Sherwood Observatory, and you will come up with yeah. our society. So, mm -hmm. Sherwood Observatory is home to Mansfield and Sutton Astronomical Society, basically. Okay. Yeah. And if you wanted to get in contact, do you guys use social media as well? Is that something you guys are engaged with? Yes, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook. Um, again, if you put in Short Observatory or Mansfield and Sutton Astronomical Society, you will get to the same location. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Is there anything you guys want to share? Any other hidden stories you guys want to put across before we head off? I don't know if you're aware, Christian, but uh, next month uh, there's a Nottingham Festival of yeah. Science and Curiosity. I don't know if you're aware of such a thing that's happening across Nottingham. No, it's a relatively mm -hmm. new thing that, that's happening. I think it happened um, early last year and um, it's going to be rolled out again this year, but it's all online, as you can understand, given the current yeah. uh, pandemic. And uh, Short Observatory are just working in association with the Nottingham Festival of Science and Curiosity and we're doing an online lecture on the 13th of uh, February. Mm -hmm. So Sherwood Observatory is going live via Zoom platform onto YouTube, and that will be available from uh, links on our website and our YouTube channel as well. So yeah, check it out. Nottingham Festival of Science and Curiosity. It's it's a it's a new upcoming thing that's going to happen every year in Nottingham across Nottingham. I think I've got going on. So that'll be really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, all, yeah. Stuff like that um, will be on our website where people can log on, get the latest information of exactly what we're going to be doing on that so we will be pushing you know harder into those fields to uh, go out into the public domain so well, i'll draw this uh interview to a close here but we can we can, uh, we can uh, talk afterwards um and i the idea is is that i would i would generally put these out uh on a tuesday typically so this will wrestle on about that two weeks time um and it'll get that'll go this conversation will then go public onto there um and i think there's, there's something really powerful that people can learn about the, the sky people can uh, talk about what's in their local community and i think there's something really engaging to have um and people need to people need to know about these places you know, I, I want people to go and um learn more so and that's and i think that's what i think is i take as my educator job is i i will find interesting people to talk about and i want people to go and investigate and learn themselves so absolutely there's lots of um areas what people can explore you know, not necessarily ours for example but during this lockdown people have, i think have been looking into other areas what they wouldn't normally say venture so it's just a great platform isn't it what you're doing to educate the people what is available out there what is in this community broaden their interests and their horizons absolutely i mean i don't know about you when i was a kid i saw like uh, i saw cosmos um with carl sagan and mm. that's and my mum was more like um, Horizon and the shows with David Attenborough. I'm really on a good appreciation of those things. 
and that's uh, that wanted me to learn more. However, uh, my life education didn't direct me into those into those fields. Mm. My lifelong passion has always been there, um, and I always keep a tab on what, what's going on in the world of science and astronomy um, because I, I'm forever interested in the fact. Mm. We are such a small dot in, in this cosmic darkness that's mm -hmm. happening all around us. What yeah. people say, it's a very humbling experience to realise how small we really are in the, in the galactic scheme of things. Absolutely. Uh, it was Carl Sagan who turned the Voyager probes around to look back and they saw the pale blue dot Yeah, planet Earth, wasn't it? And that, and that made people realise just how insignificant we are. And a similar thing happened um, with the Apollo 8 when we flew all the way to the moon and we discovered planet Earth, didn't we? The Earth rise and that blue and white orb just in the blackness of space, just hanging there, little fragile little blob on it. And we're looking down at a barren world, the moon, and we've got this little oasis of life hanging there, looking very fragile. And all those billions of people on, on the surface scuttling about, fighting. What's it all about, people? Enjoy it. Yes, it is just simple photographs, just fantastic. The power, no words necessary. Just look at it. It's just amazing. And you think about the the, the chance of it actually happening is is so small. You know, we managed to find out like the, the Goldilocks point where you know it's we're an equal number of distance away from the sun or a little bit closer. Mm. Oh, oh, and our opportunity to be even alive, let alone consider that we've existed outside of the orbit and we've looked down at the Earth, is just incredible. Um, has that happened anywhere else? <laughs> they do say that our universe is an awful waste of space if it's just only us here, because it seems like all the ingredients, how the universe comes about through nuclear synthesis of elements and stars, it just seems so geared up to create situations that allow entities such as planets to form mm. and under the right conditions and environments, then, you know, then why not? I don't believe it's just us here. I'm pretty sure there's other, you know, yeah. Earths out there as well with life on it. Uh, there is. It can't be just us because there's too much stuff out there to make us. And it is in the chat. It's a bit of a waste, really. You, you've, you've been, been watching right track too much coming out with stuff. <laughs> it is well like you say christian you know the goldilocks zone is just being sort of a venus earth mars hasn't it but yeah. now we're looking at the moons around giant planets yeah you know, the galilean moons for example titan enceladus and stuff like that where they're just um balls of ice but you know just water worlds with you know under underground oceans so who, who knows what's lurking under the oceans, who knows what's lurking under the oceans of this world? What we're on? Yeah, there's still people. Certainly, there was um, there was recently a massive wave that hit Australia, and all these creatures washed up on the beach have never been seen before. And uh, mm. there's something like two or three hundred species that are fish that never been seen. And that was a massive wave. And you're thinking, what else is there? <laughs> well, precisely, you can go down to the uh, bottom of the ocean thousands of feet and it's, it just looks like a, a lunar landscape you know it's devoid it seems devoid of anything but I don't, I don't believe that at all so much we don't know but how far we've come just think um since the wright brothers flew first time they flew well in 
February of this year, February the 18th, I think, uh, Perseverance will land, hopefully, safely on the surface of Mars. And it's carrying a helicopter. It's going to be a powered flight on the surface of another planet. Wow. How cool is that? And it does work. It's been tested to death on planet Earth. So in that short space of time from the first flight, and I think they flew, was it about 120 feet? Well, this helicopter on Mars is going to fly about 300 feet. First flight on another planet. It'll be easily twice as long as the Wright brothers' first powered flight. Is that like a drone? Is, it? is that how that's going to work? Yeah, it's all going to be, um, it's a helicopter, twin rotor helicopter, and it's underneath the uh, Perseverance rover stowed away and then once it's um, sorted itself out the rover it's going to eventually drop the helicopter on the surface of mars move away to a safe distance it's all done remotely from the it to be the rover what's operating it how cool is that a robot operating a robot <laughs> it's quite, quite remarkable really given how tenuous the atmosphere of mars is compared to the earth really i mean the atmospheric pressure on mars is, is probably a thousand times lower than the earth yeah it's, yeah it's really Absolutely. remarkable yeah. and, and they're going to it's going to be solar power so it'll charge itself up and it'll be able to fly about 50 feet in the air and about 300 feet distance about 90 seconds of powered flight on it and it's going to film it it's going to beam it back to earth so it's just a test bed. It, it, the success of the mission don't rely on this helicopter working because there's other test things on board the, the rover. But it's going to drop an helicopter on there. It's going to be brilliant. It's going to have a camera. It's got a couple of cameras, if I remember correctly. It'll be fantastic. But it's just a test bed. If it works, it'll be rolled out you know, for future missions. You, you've picked it up so much now, Rob. It's got to work more than ever, I tell you. <laughs> you better work. <laughs> how long, like, Curiosity's been still working. I mean, the fact that it was only supposed to run for about a month, wasn't it? And it's, it's still yeah. going. Still going, absolutely. Um, so it's just amazing what we can do with, you know, our thought. And, and don't forget, these, like, Curiosity and Perseverance, what are, are going to be on the planet and are on the planet Mars, is older technology anyway, because there's so many years lead up time before it even flies. So it's got to be tried and tested technology at the time, ready for flight. So it's yeah. still older technology anyway. Well, it's like the Voyager spacecraft, you know, the first Voyager probe that's going out there, it's still communicating with it. I think, I really do think in years to come, it will be like uh, the first Star Trek um, motion picture <laughs> episode. Of... It's got to be, hasn't it? <laughs> Those aliens in coming to our solar system, we're going to bump into that and bring it back. <laughs> no, that'll be a story. It would, yes. Hopefully... Hopefully that would be a better better movie than the uh, the motion picture. Oh yeah, it's typical Hollywood, isn't it? I don't think <laughs> yeah, it is. do for that first movie. <laughs> it's a popcorn movie. <laughs> it is. But yeah, there's so much stuff out there. It's just fantastic. There's always something happening on it. It is. It's just like uh, the Juno probe going around Jupiter. It's been extended now and. It's excellent. The, the close-up images of it peering into mm. the planet. Fantastic. It's a great thing about astronomy and science in the day we're in, Christian, that it's it's not static, it's always changing. I mean, yeah. people may look up at the sky and see that, well, it's been there for years, it never seems to change, but it is changing and there's always a lot to see, see up there. 
And I guess you've got the solar weather as well. That's a that's a big thing. I was and again as that documentary I was watching last night, they wasn't even sure that solar a wind actually existed. It was a it was a theoretical concept, and the guy who was who proposed that back in the nineteen sixties was kind of ridiculed out of science. You know, yeah. it wasn't until you know in like in the early two thousands when it was actually proven to exist, let alone. And that's yeah. now he got to saw his science his uh his satellite go up there to actually now measure this. Um, well, way yeah. to think about it, Christian, is that the Earth is actually inside the sun's outer atmosphere, to be honest with you. Yeah. Given the winds that's coming off the sun and being uh, projected out into the outer solar system. Yeah. Yeah, it, was it was that Eugene Parker, wasn't it, who uh, proposed that's right. this? That's right. And he said, get out of it. You should never close your minds because you never know what. And I, and I think it was a, a Russian probe flew it might have been a year later and actually measured it and then i think um an american explorer probe confirmed it about three years later on it that you know these solar particles <coughs> excuse me constantly streaming out from the sun and, the, and already that parker probe has returned fantastic information you know and sort of lifting the veil on how certain things happen on it just amazing that the technology, what they can use. I think part of that heat shield was how how they make it work was from cave paintings, the material what these our ancient ancestors were using to paint things on the on these in these caves was used in the actual building of the heat shield. Talk about that. So it's great. I love our history sort of mergers. With today and the future, and all it's like a jigsaw what gets put together. Yeah, it works. Brilliant. It really, really is. It is absolutely. So, what have you guys got to plan for the rest of the day then? Um, well, try, well, try well, and get a decent cup of coffee. I think. That's actually a nice first step. Then, new cup of coffee. Then, but off to work. Unfortunately, for me. <laughs> yeah, we'll just play it by ear today. I would have been out on my bike, but no, it's a bit late now in the day. Um, I'll sort something out. Rainy, um, well, well, seriously, when able, Christian, do come up to Short Observatory. You're more than welcome. And uh, if, if if the sun's out during the daytime, if it is the daytime you come, we'll get you to look through the solar telescope and you can see the sun in all its glory. And hopefully, if the sun's active, you can actually see um, gaseous material be ejected off the sun. You can see that in real life. Um, you know, yeah. like, uh, like tree-like tendrils coming off the sun. You guys have seen. I'm a, I'm a certified drone pilot. Um, so it'd be interesting to get some, you know, get a few shots up from the, the observatory at some time if they come up oh, there. Yeah, honestly, Christian, you've got an open invitation to come to the OBS and that lot will get you looking through some scopes and yeah, you know, uh, on that. I'm just really look forward to that. Fantastic. All right, awesome. Well, we definitely have to plan that and uh, make that happen. So I'm, I'm bound to be back that, that way at some point anyway. So I guess sure. documentary. So um, we'll, make, we'll make that happen. Very good. All right, well, fantastic to meet you guys, and great to spend some time with you. And I um, look forward definitely to keeping in contact. So, absolutely, Christian. Really look, look forward to today, and it's yeah. been better than I thought it would be. It's been great. Oh my it's goodness. been great. I, I was I was chatting to Brandon just before, obviously, you got in, Rob, and a bit like I, I kind of wondered, Rob, how how you were wondering how this conversation was going to go because you were a bit like um, a bit stoic in your messages. Going, he's, he's he's worried. I can tell. He's a bit concerned. <laughs> <laughs> I thought uh, that you might have thought you were worried about it. Uh, the way I read it, I was a bit like, oh, he's a bit unsure. <laughs> no, no, well, that's what I, I prefer face to face contact. I prefer, I'm a 
people person. Same here, man. Try and get stuff over electronically, but I, I, no, I, I'm much better with people face to face. I just I like it chilled out and relaxed, and this has been great. It's been yeah, it's been fantastic. What's the idea? Just come and get yourself comfortable. Get get a coffee, and we're just to yeah. run with the conversation. I've, I've found that of the episodes that I've done so far, so I've done about forty so far. Mm. Uh, various um, guests, various um, friends that I've had online. And everyone's been like, I need to get a coffee, start again, let's, let's keep going, we'll do, do another one. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how these you know, interviews should be, really. Absolutely. Don't, don't want anything formatted and we're going to ask you this question, that question, we're going to go down there. I find just chuck things in, kick it about and see what comes up, because it can lead to all sorts of little things. It's like when, I, when I'm doing talks and that, um, they always tell me it's 90 minutes, depending on how many questions are asked. And that's sometimes I just chuck little tidbits in and just let, let them kick it about and I always remember once um that this group up and just got onto Mars and I, I just honestly forget it was just almost a throwaway line and flipping out the conversation how it flowed around the room I'll just get on with it then <laughs> I had to eventually cut in and bring it to a halt because we'd have been there all night but just great just uh, the interaction what went off like a ripple effect yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. what happened when, yeah, you have, when you have a formal structure, it's a bit like this is what I'm going to ask you, and this is what I'm mm. expected to have an answer within like 30, 70, 50 to 70 seconds. And you got to go, you'll be done within 15 minutes. So that was the worst thing to have a conversation. Like that. And I think the, the long form conversation um, is a lot better. You can, you can understand how people work, how they think, how they, how they communicate, and how what they're like as an educator. And you can see their passion. And that's such a different feeling when people see that. Um, and they, they realise it's actually a genuine conversation. I think there's something yeah. really touching about that. Yeah, you've got some great ways of prompting and things like that, just so casual, and, yeah, that's it. It just works, just simply does. So, yeah, definitely would like to do this again. We'd like to get you up personally to the OBS, that sort of stuff, yeah, so cool. show you around the place, the radio centre, the um, reservoir, that sort of thing, and that. Do, do a live broadcast on there. Brilliant. Sounds... So I'm not even sure we can even travel publicly yet can we can we use the train yet i don't know no if it's sort of um charitable work so if you're a charity we're good to go well, well you can do if you want to pay 200 pounds yeah <laughs> no i don't want that 200 pound taken out of our fee brendan come on <laughs> I was gonna say, it's, it's like is there something else? are they at tier three is that how it is at the moment uh, we're in tier four, I think. Okay, tier so four plus plus plus. Yeah, I think the numbers are going to keep going up, aren't they? Yeah, I um, think so. I think that's the only way they're going to keep this uh, this this fear going, isn't it? Keep raising. Well, it is. We, we we could have dealt with this a lot better. Targeted protection and stuff like that. I don't I don't buy into Project Fear. I'm not denying COVID at all. It's a killer. We know people who it's affected personally. We could protect the vulnerable people. And all the people take the right precautions. Be sensible, people. We can work with this stupid COVID. Yeah. So still, because I think lockdowns affect people so badly. It's causing lots of problems. And we're going to be paying for that in lots of ways. Years yeah. to come. For sure. Years to come. Oh. Right, I'm going to go get off and get ready, for, get ready for work and all that. Yes, of course. Hey, get some work done, Christian. Come on. <laughs> Many thanks for your time, Christian. It's been great. Yeah, uh, yeah. thank you, Christian. Brilliant. Really yes. appreciate it. All right, take care, guys. All the best. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye bye.